Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm retired Colonel Rob Minas back with you at our regularly scheduled time. And I want to welcome you back to the Rob Minas Show. And friends, most of you know I ran for the U.S. Senate in Louisiana for one reason. The establishment candidates and from both parties had a clear history that prioritized their donors, which includes lobbyists, more than the American people. I ran on policies that are now called America First policies like energy independence, ending forever wars, and the policies that support them, eliminating regulations and taxes as much as possible, criminal justice reform, and most importantly, to protect our liberty. And I think you see now, after a year and a half of obstructing our liberty, why that's so important. And since then, I've stayed uh, active in politics, especially to get America First policies implemented. And this coming year, uh, that's why you've already seen candidates for the U.S. Congress appear as guests on my show, because we have to elect America First candidates, and it's got to be from the federal all the way to the local level. The men and women we elect must know their top priority is protecting liberty and providing for the common defense, period. That's it. All other policy and legislative endeavors have to be prioritized after those two priorities. So today's guest is an America First candidate from Mississippi running for the fourth congressional seat. And yes, he is challenging an incumbent Republican. He is currently in the state Senate and has a proven track record of standing up to the powerful on behalf of his constituents. So without further ado, Mississippi State Senator Bryce Wiggins, welcome to the Rob Manus Show, sir. How are you? Thank you, Colonel. Appreciate it. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I hope uh, you and your family and friends all have a great Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving week, so we appreciate you. Uh, the show is live now, folks, as a reminder, and you can leave comments and ask questions uh, uh, on the Facebook or Twitter or whatever social media you're uh, using. And we can see those and can address them. So we appreciate your participation. Uh, and this show will also be published on the internet on Thanksgiving morning. So happy Thanksgiving to you and everybody else out there. How's the campaign going? You just announced, what, about two weeks ago? Three weeks uh, ago? Yes, it was actually, I think it was about three or four weeks ago, we announced it has been tremendous, the support that we've gotten. And as you pointed out, um, we are de have declared for the 4th Congressional District in Mississippi. The incumbent, um, sad to say, has gone the way of the swamp in D.C. Um, that's a fact based on the ethics violations that have come out uh, in his name and really based on the stuff that we've read and that's been made public that there's really no dispute about it. Um, and so, yes, the we've garnered a lot of support. Uh, we are hitting the things that we need to hit. And uh, it's been great. People are, you know, Colonel, people, people are tired of the things that they see coming out of D.C. The socialist mm -hmm. policies, uh, the um, the selfish, uh, in, self-interested uh, politicians that are up there. Um, they want somebody who's going to stand up for them. And one of the things that people have responded to our campaign is when I tell them, because it's the truth, that when I ran for the Mississippi State Senate, I was a prosecutor doing a job that I loved. 
I had two small kids at the time. I got uh, uh, two kids. Uh, they were smaller, certainly at the time. Left, decided it was that important, left my job, cut my family income in half, and ran for the Senate and took on a two-term, three-term incumbent and won because people were at the end were tired of what they were seeing. And, you know, it's a sacrifice, and I'm willing to do that sacrifice uh, for the people. Well, I checked your background before I had you on, and most importantly, before I used the term America First candidate uh, <laughs> with you, uh, Bryce, because that's important. And, and what you just said about why you ran for the state Senate, it's critical for people that you want to vote for you to understand that you took on the establishment. And while you're in office as a state senator, it appears to me that you've taken on the corruption and the establishment uh, while at the same time taking care of your constituents uh, from the feedback that I've seen uh, you get from them because I did my research on you. So, so, well, but I want you to, I want them to hear it from you. I want my folks to hear it from you because some well, of them live in Mississippi. Why do you call yourself an America first candidate? Well, first of all, welcome to Mississippi. I know you've recently, uh, um, I guess, put down roots. So thank you. And then um, I appreciate you doing your your background check because that's what has to be done. Um, when people are electing candidates, they're hiring them for a job. And I think sometimes it's taken too uh, flippantly and I'm all about accountability. And so, yes, I have just to kind of highlight some of my, uh, I guess, um, uh, bona fides, if you will, uh, when I got elected to the Senate, um, it broke in Mississippi about the Department of Marine Resources and the scandal. And it, for those that don't know, you can certainly go and Google it. But the director of the Department of Marine Resources went to prison for misappropriating and stealing money. Um, and as chairman, I was a chairman my freshman year of the Ports Marine Resources Committee. And I put forward and got passed in the legislature, the DMR, Department of Marine Resources Accountability Act and Transparency, and that required uh, certain things, including an audit to be done at their expense. Bottom line is that that hasn't happened since then. And it was a uh, it was a uh, uh, an abuse of taxpayers trust. Uh, another example is. Um, in my local area, the local county owned hospital paid for by government fund by taxpayer funds, uh, the hard working men and women um, who had spent decades working, their pension was went away due to mismanagement at, at a minimum. And uh, I filed in the legislature a bill that would that sh that opened the backroom doors that was going on with the uh, community hospitals in the state of Mississippi and literally uh, took on the hospital establishment in the state of Mississippi and was told uh, by different individuals and different ones that I wouldn't continue to serve. Yet um, we worked through it and actually with the help of uh, Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves at the time, we got it through the Senate, got it through the House, uh, and it was it was passed and took that on. And so um, and since then, it's been a uh, it's been operating much better um, to your point about criminal justice reform. 
Uh, as I told you, I'm a former prosecutor, spent nine years putting people in prison. I'm proud of that. Tough on crime. That being said, our system was, is in such a way that it needs to be reformed. And I have led the efforts on criminal justice reform in the Mississippi Senate. And by the way, my friends, uh, prosecutors, if you will, were on the opposite side. There were some hard discussions that had to happen, but we did it and I held my ground and the citizens are better for that. So those are just some some examples that that we've been able to do. On the subject of criminal justice reform, Bryce, uh, I think I told you I, I've been involved in it, too. And uh, in Louisiana, I was a small part of the, the big team that got the uh, Jim Crow law for non-unanimous juries uh, passed in the constitutional amendment. So we removed that. Uh, now all juries are unanimous uh, as the Which, way. Which, by the way, in Mississippi, it's always been unanimous. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to point that out. You beat me to it. But, but, uh, but there are some, uh, and one of the things that I'm concerned about currently, and this will bring some current events in here, is, is uh, uh, me and people like you not being able to work with our partners on the other side of the aisle because they've gone so, not all of them, but, but the other side of the aisle has gone so far to the left towards socialism and, and, and I even say communism at this point. I spent a long time uh, uh, fighting against communism in my Air Force career and so did my dad and my brother. Uh, so we know what it looks like. Uh, but, you know, like here's the subject I want to talk about just a little bit to give you a chance to talk about it. And that is the subject of criminal justice reform as it, as it relates to bail reform. Uh, I have never been for that. Uh, and uh, we see what happened in Wacosha, uh, uh, Wisconsin, just the other night with a, a guy out on bail just a couple of days prior, and he ends up being a mass murderer uh, with his vehicle. Uh, and we see all kinds of bad things happening in New York City, uh, Chicago, and those kind of things. Where do you stand on that in the more, uh, I hate to say left, because it's not really a left-right issue, but the more, uh, uh, the more, uh, uh, the issues that are that are kind of out in the field, you know, out in the left field or out in the right field. There's there's fields in both of them that where you could go to extremes. But that's not the kind of criminal justice reform that I've supported. But where are you going to stand on that kind of stuff at the federal level? Yeah. So first, if I can say one of the things that falls under the big umbrella of criminal justice reform, and you may want to talk about it, is the civil asset forfeiture, which in Mississippi we've had we've dealt with on the bail reform. Um, we haven't really, uh, I guess, addressed much of that. That being said, first, um, yeah, the, the socialist policies of, uh, of, you know, the blue states and the blue big cities, um, they're ridiculous. If you, <laughs> all you have to do is look at places, I think it's like Min uh, in Minneapolis, where they put forward these uh, petitions to defund the police and to do all that. Are you kidding me? And now when they actually did it, they're going, oh, please come back. Please come back. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And that what that shows you, Colonel, is the uh, the extreme is dictating, particularly in the Democrat Party. Um, yeah. And that is not I will tell you, certainly that is not Mississippi. And I certainly believe that is not the majority of Americans, as you can see in places like Minneapolis. Mm -hmm where, oh, they thought that this was gonna be an easy sell, the people fought back and voted it down of what they were doing. 
Um, yeah. Now, um, so on the actual bail reform, let me say this. I actually see it as a constitutional issue. Why? Because, and I think the media, particularly, they do not accurately uh, talk about what the issue is. And first of all, bail is what it is, is an assurance that you will come to court for your trial date. Okay. At the end of the mm -hmm. day, that's what yeah. it is. Okay. Yeah. Now, bail is determined based on a number of factors, but the two biggest ones are, are you a flight risk and are you a danger to the community? Okay. Those are the two right. big general ones. Um, based on what I've seen of the stuff that happened in, I think it is in uh, Wisconsin, um, yeah. certainly a danger to the community. So why wasn't the bail uh, set at a higher rate? Okay. But yeah. what I do think, uh, um, Colonel, is that people misunderstand bail because they think they try to put, they use it as punishment when you haven't been uh, gone through the, the constitutionally guaranteed trial that we have. And one of the things that separates America from Russia and China is our belief in due process and our belief in innocent until proven guilty. So there is a balance there. And I, when I was a prosecutor, I stood before the judge and I asked for bail. And I would agree at times, depending on the case, that a bail needed to be less here for whatever reason. But mm -hmm. I was guided by the law and by the judge. And so what I see is a lot of pontificating going on and not by lawyers who are actually doing it in the courtroom. Good. That's, that's, that's good. I appreciate your approach to that. Uh, one more question about criminal justice reform, and then we can move on to some of the other issues that you haven't needed to address as a state senator that you're going to need to talk to talk about and act on at the federal level. And that is uh, uh, my, my next project on, on uh, CJR is prosecution reform. Uh, and I, I was convinced I watched the entire trial uh, uh, and, uh, and observed through a panel of attorneys, uh, of the Rittenhouse trial. And, uh, no, I no, thought no offense, Ron, but did you, did you not have something else to do? <laughs> well, this is my job now, you know? <laughs> uh, so I want, and I'm a big second amendment advocate, but, but that's not the issue. Uh, you know, there is prosecutorial misconduct that occurred in the Rittenhouse case. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and to me, and I believe that prosecutors uh, are able to get away with that kind of stuff every day. Uh, it just so happened that Rittenhouse was a kid who, who was made famous by the media uh, and those kind of things. So everybody was watching it. But uh, I think especially amongst the, you know, the larger population of folks that go before a court are, are black males, young black males. And I believe prosecutors are able to get away with that kind of stuff uh, all the time. And, and that was just not an aberration, uh, what we saw up in uh, Kenosha. Uh, at least not all of it was an aberration. There may be some, but because there was too much of it. Uh, you know, you're a former prosecutor. Will you take that on? Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and let's get the justice system in the United States right for everybody. Yeah. So first of all, I agree that we need to get the justice system. The justice system needs to be right for everybody. Mm -hmm. Black, white, blue, red, yellow, green, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Okay. So that that's first and foremost. 
I'm not going to, uh, because I didn't watch it, I was actually practicing law uh, for the most part. I didn't have a chance to watch all of what went on. I, so I'm going to reserve judgment on that. I did see some headlines. I know this, that um, the media tends to pick and choose what they highlight. When you're in a trial, and mind you, I've tried, I've tried jury trials. The last trial that I did before leaving uh, the DA's office to run for the Senate was putting a 14 year old in prison for murder of a grandfather who came to watch his grandson play football and took a wrong turn. Okay. I've been before juries. I've done grand larcenies. I've done arson. All right. So it is not, uh, it's not an easy thing. So I'm not going to cast aspersions. That being said, what I have seen is that um, the weight of the government, i.e. the uh, laws and things is very big. And um, the prosecutors uh, have a right, have a, I'm sorry, have an obligation to wear what I call the white hat, not just do, not just get the, get the conviction, but do justice and do what's right. I know for me, and I can speak for me, is that when I would look at cases and it was told us, are you doing what's right? Yes. You want to convict for the victims and for the uh, for this justice, but is this the right thing? And sometimes those decisions are hard. Now in the courtroom, you have the judge um, and you have the defense and you have the prosecutor. And um, think, I know there's an instruction that gets read uh, that says what lawyers say is not evidence. And I mm -hmm. think that's important to remember is. is that uh, what lawyers say is not evidence. It's simply argument. And the media tries to play that up. What is evidence is what is, comes from the witness stand, the documents that are admitted into, allowed by the judge, and that. Um, and the judge is there to, uh, to be the gatekeeper, if you will. Mm -hmm. There And so, yes, there needs to be changes, just like we've done in Mississippi um, on the on the what's called the parole eligibility bill and the criminal justice reform bill. Um, the law was such that um, there was no reason to go to trial, for example, on a on a precursor chemical on a meth case. Um, if mm -hmm. you had sulfuric acid and you had batteries, you could go to prison for 30 years. OK. Um, that was, and so that's what the prosecutors were working with. And a lot of times what happens is they don't have all the tools and we in your, the legislative branch needs to give them the right tools. Um, but in terms of prosecutorial misconduct, that does happen. It's happened in Mississippi, not where I'm at, but there is, if you talk to anybody in Mississippi, there's a, um, you may remember the Curtis Flowers case yes. that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, it was now ruled that he's a free man um, in that area of the state. There's been a DA who who has been alleged to have engaged in prosecutorial misconduct. And that's a shame. But in the Mississippi, DAs are elected. And that goes back to people electing the right people. And they need mm -hmm. to hold our candidates accountable and um, not just, you know, because it's, you know, because it's your daddy's best friend or whatever it needs to be, is that person showing the values of what you're caught, what the, what is liberty minded, what our constitution means. So I hope I answered your question. 
Well, you did, but I hope you'll go and and uh, at least uh, skim the transcript of that trial because it was a, it was obvious to the attorneys yeah. that I uh, observed watching the trial live, uh, who were both prosecutors and defense attorneys, uh, that this was a political prosecution, uh, and uh, yeah. the DA, the ADA uh, Binger as much as said so during the trial and got away with it. So. But let me say uh, that, that I would that love point, to see you. Uh, I'd love to hear what your take on it once you have more details on it. But, but Ron, to that point right there, no prosecution should be just political in nature. Yeah, it should be exactly. about justice. Okay. And yeah. if they were doing it for no other reason than political reasons, then that's wrong. Okay. It's about what, what should be done about justice. And d prosecutors, depending on the state you're in, have a lot mm -hmm. of discretion. And yeah. You need to use that discretion wisely. And I know I was faced with cases that, yeah, it would be easy to go put this person on trial and to do that. But you have to use your uh, you have to use discretion. Um, and yeah, I just saw somebody say accountability is needed by prosecutors. I agree. Um, yeah. That's why we need the right people in the right places. And so, no, it should not be just for political purposes. Exactly. And it's my opinion. They should have never even. They should have never charged that kid with what they charged him with. If you know there was there was some discretion, discretionary error there. Let's put it that way, and it'll be yeah. borne out with the facts uh, whether it was actual misconduct or not. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So moving to the federal level, and, and this is kind of a related to prosecutors and everything. You know what? What are there's a lot going on at the federal level. Uh, conservatives are feeling a lot of conservatives in this country are feeling like they are uh, they are being punished. Uh, they are being threatened. Uh, you have parents being threatened with the FBI as terrorists by by the government, the D Department of Justice. Uh, you have the January 6th defendants that are still incarcerated uh, that are uh, we've now seen the facts that show that some of them have been abused been kept in solitary confinement for nonviolent crimes, haven't been let out on bail, uh, and they're all nonviolent, almost all nonviolent crimes. I understand the violent ones and if somebody's a, or if somebody's a flight risk and those kind of things. Uh, uh, so uh, so what is going to be your, what's your action plan to protect and reinstate American liberty post this craziness of the pandemic? Uh, and I'm proud to say that uh, the free state of Mississippi uh, uh, does not have uh, that craziness uh, and that Louisiana had a little bit of it. Uh, but uh, but the rest of this country, some parts of it are just absolutely gone nuts. And, and we've lost liberty in this country. And, you know, once liberty is lost, it's extremely difficult to regain it. We're counting on people like you that get into the Congress to realize that's your number one priority is to protect our liberty, but we've got to do some work to reinstate it. What's your action plan? Well, the simplest answer, you kind of answered it for me, is to do what we do in Mississippi. I mean, you said that uh, that we don't necessarily have those issues on a general basis, certainly not what the federal government has. And it's about taking what we do here uh, in general terms and, and forcing it to happen in the U.S. Congress and pushing back on these areas. As a former prosecutor and as a, I'm currently, which I don't know that we mentioned this, I'm currently chairman of Judiciary A in the Mississippi Senate and have been chairman of Judiciary B in the Mississippi Senate. 
which are the two air the two committees that oversee all these legal issues. And with my knowledge and experience, it's putting someone in Congress that understands these issues and that can do it and is willing to stand up and fight uh, fight on these issues. And uh, so, you know, in the in, in terms of the federal uh, judicial system, um, it's really just uh, focusing on the laws that are in place, but also um, the Department of Justice uh, at the end of the day is overseen by the president and the attorney general. And so it's important who's in those offices. And of course, we see who's in the office now. Um, but look, I will tell you, I had some concerns when President Trump was in the office with how some things were handled. The, the Department of Justice does not need to be weaponized uh, no matter who's in the office. It's about justice. And so uh, and I to answer kind of where you're going uh, as a uh congressional member, and certainly if I was in a position like I am now to be chairman, I would push back on that. Um, let me say this. I, I actually read um, the biography of Senator Jim Eastland, who was chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the, in the U.S. Senate for decades. And, um, you know, there's things that I didn't necessarily agree with him on that. But what happened at that time was a willingness to push back on the executive branch, uh, where that stuff happens. And by the way, in Mississippi, the uh, the the DAs and the Attorney General are considered part of the executive branch. So mm -hmm. I think it falls under checks and balances, and it's incumbent upon us as legislators, being in Congress or certainly in the Mississippi Legislature, to change the law to make that happen. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And you and you are, you know, if you if you see a president of the United States, regardless of what party they are in, and when I say president of the United States and his executive branch, who he's supposed to be in charge of, uh, doing the things like this Garland memo that responded to a political memo from the National School Board Association to say these parents are acting like terrorists and, and then actually sets up the FBI's surveillance system to tag people that are calling out their school boards uh, and then lies to Congress about it. Uh, certainly, if a Trump administration or a Republican administration had done something like that, I expect my congressman to push back on that because of the checks and balances and uh, the way the Constitution is designed. Uh, but aren't you, aren't you worried? I mean, I'm worried that the Constitution is not being followed except for when uh, you're trying to get your political opponent uh, with this Justice Department, that certainly looks like what's happening from a layman's perspective and a citizen out here uh, uh, on the South Gulf Coast. Yeah, uh, I, I'm concerned about that and I'm afraid for it. That's why we need uh, good constitutional uh, smart folks in office but who are willing to fight back. Uh, and um, look, I've said, I've said this, that our founders set up our criminal justice system uh, to be handled in a certain way, and it's gone beyond that, and we need mm -hmm. to get back to our concern, our constitutional principles on that. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, uh, you mentioned the budget, uh, the federal budget's being out of control. What are you gonna focus on reducing with the federal budget when you're up there, Bryce? <laughs> um, so first of all, that's a Boy, big question. A, uh, do you got another three hours or something? Uh, give me the give me the bullet points. <laughs> right. Well, first of all, 
through in my um, um, my Senate capacity, I've called on the federal government to pass the balanced budget amendment, balanced budget act. Okay, and we do that. And to my point about doing what we do in Mississippi, okay, in these areas, we have to balance our budget. We do it every single year. I've been a member of the appropriations. We balance the budget, and guess what? That means you have to say no. There's people that come to us and they get, no, we can't afford it. It's our children's future and we can't do it. Congress can't seem to, to get out of the way uh, to do that. Um, and so uh, that that's first and foremost is to have the fortitude to be able to say no on those things. Um, then, you know, everybody has their pet projects that they do that continually adds to the, to this, to the, um, to the deficit and the and the, the budget uh, debt and the debt. And so it's about uh, um, handling those things. I will say this, uh, Ron, and I don't hear many people talking about it, but I'm going to bring it up. And that is the use of the reconciliation process in the Missis- I'm sorry, in the U.S. Congress. Now, mm-hmm. that's kind of a um, maybe a niche thing, but that's because the, the the Congress cannot and will not do their job. What they have resorted to is doing a procedure where it puts all the power in the parliamentarian of the of the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives because the actual elected folks can and won't do what they need to do. And so the only way they can pass a budget is to, to use the reconciliation process when our founders required us and their intent was to have debate on the issues. And so Mm -hmm. instead of having debate in front of the full people of the United States of America, they do what's called the reconciliation process. And I would, I would encourage everybody to go out and Google reconciliation process, but that's ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. Now I'm not there yet, but I will tell you that when you're starting to bypass what is normally in place, because you can't get that done. I think that's a problem. And I would, one of my first things I would do is to look at, um, to stop using the reconciliation process and actually do it like it's expected to be done. Yeah, I would recommend you look at continuing resolutions too and eliminate using continuing resolutions. And uh, and what we need is, is some congressmen and women as a forcing function to force the procedure back to committee hearings that hear all these out in each of the each of the the stovepipes of the budget the way they're supposed to be and then the budget get passed that way uh, and uh, I'm glad to hear you talk about that because uh, you know I mean folks out in, in TV land uh, in internet land uh, may, may be bored by that but that's extremely important if you look at guys like Thomas Massey uh, and folks that push back uh, all the time they understand that process very well. Uh, and they're pushing for a, a return to what I call normal order. You know, normal order. I have yeah. a saying: process is policy. And yeah. in the legislative branch, that's what it is. And mm-hmm. too many folks have decided to stop with the process. And you see where we've ended up. And I wanted to go back to what you said. Everything that you're bringing up, Ron, it goes back to what I've heard on the campaign trail. And that is people do not trust their government, nor should they at this stage. Okay. And what's happened is, and this people tell me this is they don't trust what the government's doing because 
the things you're highlighting are the things that they look at and they say, are you crazy? Um, they People at the end of the day, I believe, want to trust their government. After all, we live in the greatest country there is. and But they're fed up with how it's being uh, treated by those that uh, have been entrusted with it. And yes, us elected officials, me as a state senator, I've been entrusted by the citizens of my district to to uh, to um, represent them. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm not entitled to it. Just like in Congress, right. you've been entrusted for the benefit of future generations. And what I mm -hmm. think, and what I'm well, I certainly think it. But what I'm also hearing is people don't feel like those that are in office are looking out for the future of our country. And I will take it back to my local race. When you have an incumbent, and it's a fact that has been charged or certainly has been uh, uh, charged with ethical violations, um, how is that entrusting the future to your to the next generation? Exactly. That's a good point. Uh, and it's right on the money. Uh, the uh, On the budget issue, though, outside of the process, the uh, the defense budget. Have you put much research and thought into that yet? I know folks that aren't you know that aren't at the federal level uh, don't delve into that a whole lot, but I know there's some big defense contractors in our district. I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so to your point, no, I haven't had a chance to sit down and go through the through the whole thing uh, or much of it. If if it that, let me say this: I am a strong supporter of the defense uh ingle shipbuilding which builds 70 percent of the nation's uh ships mm -hmm. are in right here in mississippi in my district uh, we have keesler air force base we have the navy cbs um so we have a very good relationship uh with uh the defense of our country um is there things that we can uh uh be better at budgeting most certainly and that's incumbent upon the legislate i'm sorry the congress to do that so do i have a specific answer on that like you know would it be that you know this this bolt here or there no i don't mm -hmm. but i am going to support a strong defense because i think uh that's what our founders one of the number one goals was to have a strong uh a strong defense of our country um but there is there is it can always be better and i i think that that's extremely important and I see that on the state of Mississippi level. Um, there's things that uh, that are told to us that are important, but we end up having to say no. And so I'm willing to do that. Yeah, you know, uh, a strong national defense is the best guarantor of peace. That's right. Uh, and uh, uh, most people don't realize that, that professional military officers, especially those of us that have been in war, we don't want war. We want a strong national defense so that we never have to go to war with a country like the Soviet Union. They, they die on the vine, literally, because, because of our strategic policies that we choose and, and, and what we choose to fund or not fund uh, and how we do that. Uh, and uh, I will just give you this piece of free advice is that we're at the end of two decades or more of continuous war uh, and uh, the budget is bloated and the longer we go with not cutting it back to where it needs to be to maintain a strong national defense so that we maintain the peace 
the worse off we're going to be because we're not going to focus on what needs to be focused on, which is the biggest threat, big, biggest threat in the world to the United States. And that's the Chinese Communist Party. Right. Uh, which I was going to say, all you have to go look at is the um, article that came out recently about how bigger the Chinese Navy's getting. But you brought yeah. up something that brings me back to the other point, which is that what I have found out in the state of Mississippi, when we balance the budget, what that forces mm -hmm. you to do is to prioritize. And I can tell you, but it also makes you it makes you have to cut, if you will, and or at least not say yes to the areas that should not be prioritized. And mm -hmm. I can tell you that I, to your point, I will prioritize national defense. But that's why I said a balanced budget or or similar because what it does is it forces you to make priorities. And I, as Republicans, um, in my case, we want a strong defense, and that will be at a top priority. But again, also like you said, war should be the exception, not the rule. And um, like you said, you don't want to go to war, okay? But you need to be prepared in case you do. Um, and I think our history of our country shows that things don't end up in a good way when, when the rule is you go to war and you stay at war. I don't think that's, I think that's what you're saying. And mm -hmm. I think that's where the American public is as well. Well, I think any Republican or Democrat that, that tries to stick with the forever war policies of the last 20 years uh, is uh, dead in the water, so to speak, to use a ship term. Uh, and they're not going to go anywhere. And I think you're going to see that in 2022. Uh, I know you're short of time, but I do have one more that I want to give yeah. you a chance to talk about. Uh, and that is, and this is a big question as opposed to a short question with a big answer. Uh, but I'm sure you thought about it, but you know, what will you do when you get to Congress about America's institutions that are out of control? I mean, the institutions of the United States, Bryce, are, are out of control and being used to really suppress. And, and in some cases, I'm going to say it, oppress the citizens of the United States instead of doing what they're supposed to do, which is working for and serving the American people. Uh, what are you going to do to help get those things back in the box? Because the government, the unelected government, is way beyond control of even a president of the United States. I think we saw that. I know I did during the Trump administration. And I think you see it in the Biden administration just in a different sort of way. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess I'll answer it this way. Um, the, we have to get back to our founding principles which is checks and balances. And for too long, uh, people look to the executive branch or they look to the judicial branch, i.e. the Supreme Court, to answer their problems. When in fact, our founders created the congressional, the legislative branch to solve those issues. And uh, if you go read your history, uh, you will, not you in particular, but people will see yeah. that Congress has given away too much of its power, if you will, of the people they've given it. There's a thing called um, the Chevron principle. Uh, if you go and research that, you may know what I'm talking about. I do. Where you, okay. Do you want to describe what that is? No, go right ahead. <laughs> so that was basically a principle that's been around for certainly at least, I think 20 or 30 years this, that gave deference to agencies to make law. Well, gosh, dang it. The last time I checked, the founder said Congress is there to make laws. 
And mm -hmm. so that's an example of the bureaucracy and the no checks that are going on. And so it's about the Congre the legislative branch, i.e. Congress, stepping back up and doing what they've been sent there to do. Uh, Ron, I just saw a recent poll that said Congress's uh, uh, public favorability is at 21%. Are you kidding me? 21%. Okay. That's across. I mean, that's what that tells you. And, and let me say this in the Gallup poll and it's out there, you can see it says the Americans look at Congress as being out of touch and ineffective. It's about being, we have to get back to being in touch and being effective. And so, um, and, and I think it has to, you can't bite the, you can't eat the elephant all in one bite. Um, mm -hmm. But I can tell you since I've been in the Mississippi legislature that I've taken bites every year I've been in there to get us back to where we should be. And that's what I pledge to do when I get in Congress um, and, uh, and get in there and not lose and all, let me put it this way, always keep at the forefront uh, the checks and balances and what our founders intended when they uh, when they wrote the Constitution. Yeah, and in addition to Chevron deference, I would like to see an elimination of Congress's delegation of legislative authority to the, the letter agencies that they've given, because basically that's why we don't have hearings anymore right. to talk about these laws. So these agencies get to make law, uh, and unless somebody objects and, and enough people do it, then it becomes law and it's been done by a bunch of bureaucrats and that's not what the founders intended. So it's good to hear that you want to get, you're, you're going to demand that we get and work to getting back to that. And you may not be able to eat the uh, elephant more than one bite at a time. You have a damn sure better not let this big sucker sit on you because this is the biggest government in the history of mankind, Bryce. Mm -hmm. Well, well, thank you very much for joining us today. Where can folks find you, donate to you, and all of those kinds of administrative things that especially donate to you? Thank you for, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on and for uh, you getting the word out. So they can go to our website, brycewiggins.ms. Uh, it's my Twitter, brycewigginsms. Um, they can Google Bryce Wiggins for Congress um, on our YouTube channel. All these policies that you're talking about, Ron, and, and others, I have uh, videos out there so that people know where I stand. And this goes to the point you were making or finishing up with, and that is that it's become too easy for uh, for incumbent for Congress to shirk the responsibility. And I'm willing to stand up and take a position on things, even if it doesn't make every single person happy. Um, and you can see that on my website. I've got my Facebook, Bryce Wiggins for Congress. Um, I would encourage everybody to go out there and uh, please follow us. Uh, I think you'll like what you see. Yeah. And as I said at the beginning, I believe you are an America first candidate. That's why I'm personally supporting your campaign and, and my political action committee Gator Pack. I'm announcing it right here, right now that uh, we are supporting uh, Senator Wiggins campaign for the U.S. Congress, because if you don't realize after the end of this conversation that he is an America first candidate and somebody we need at the federal level, uh, then go back and listen to it again and again and over and over. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Bryce. And uh, good luck in the campaign. We'll see you around out there. And uh, uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. Happy uh, Thanksgiving to everybody out there and to you and your family. Thanks, Bryce. Have Thank a good you. one.
Appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Senator, State Senator Bryce Wiggins from the state of Mississippi, who's running for the 4th Congressional District uh, uh, for Congress in 2022. I suggest you check him out. Uh, he's the real deal is what he looks like and sounds like. And not just that, but he walks the talk uh, if you look at his record. And we need men and women exactly like that in the U.S. Congress in order to get this country back on track, protect our liberty, provide for the common defense, and deprioritize all of that other spending and get this government that's out of control and our institutions that are out of control and being used against us back to serving you, the American citizen, as the founders intended it to be. Have a great Thanksgiving. My family and I wish you uh, a safe and happy long weekend at this wonderfully, purely American holiday. Enjoy your turkey, because at this network, you're not going to be told not to buy a turkey. Have a great one, and we'll see you next week.